are back with another episode of Regenerative Landscapes. And I think we're going to get right into Dan discussing um, green infrastructures. Yeah, so found a few green infrastructure related topics that yeah, kind of all you know tie together. So I'll start with the first one that I found on uh, Science Daily. And I can't, when did it get released? Uh, oh, the 5th of this year. Yeah, so oh, only yesterday. Uh, and uh, the title is called Toward a More Inclusive Definition of Green Infrastructure. And this came out of the Cary Institute of Ecosystem Studies. Uh, I don't know where that is exactly, but Did it's you say all Cary? Yeah, like C-A-R-Y. Oh, oh no, then it's not. I was going to say if it was K-E-R-R-Y, it might be Ireland, but I don't know what that one is. No, oh. it's based in the States. Uh, so a study based in the United States has shown that over 120 plants from various cities are unable to clearly define green infrastructure. Um, they all have their own <laughs> definitions and then they all kind of vary as to what they're kind of focusing on. But there hasn't been really a clear, <laughs> at least in the States, like a clear definition amongst kind of like on a federal level, I guess. Uh, well, I think a lot of that might planning. be because they're a lot of the things they do are kind of a state by state case scenario. Right. So um, they yeah. go in a lot of different directions. Uh, yeah, the trend of the plans that they analyze seems to favor ones that are focused on engineered facilities such as stormwater management uh, ponds and not uh, green spaces or parks. So, yeah, it's kind of more human, like heavy human involvement when it comes to, no, we're going to build a structure that's going to help with um, stormwater versus, no, we're just going to create a space that's kind of going to do its own thing once we're done with it. So that's kind of where what they found is that a lot of the plants focus more on the constructed than, um, well, I guess both are constructed, but uh, I guess more non-natural <laughs> stuff involved versus natural. Well, actually, so, that um, hang on, uh, maybe we should back up a second because some of our listeners might not even be fully aware of what is sustainable green infrastructure. Like, what does uh, it entail? I was going to get to that. Oh, so sorry. <laughs> I just thought it might be good at the beginning so that people know what they're getting into. Yeah. So, well, because the thing ends with what they define it as. So, oh, um, they did a backwards one. Mm. Well, because the whole point of it is they're looking at all this stuff and then they're coming up with their, based off of all the data that they found, what their definition of. Uh, oh, okay. Because what, these other what guys a general, can't agree. What a general definition of green infrastructure that's a little more encompassing of the things that they found in these individual plans that they okay. looked at. Well, continue so, on then. I'll ask you, what do you define oh. green infrastructure as? Well, um, I, th I feel like sustainable green infrastructure would be any type of infrastructure that connects to uh, a vegetative, uh, has a vegetative connection and enhances the... Uh, enhances your your environment around you, like your natural environment, uh, through. I guess it could be direct or indirect, but some some means, you know, like so whether it's your rain garden, uh, maybe bioswales or downspout, uh, rainwater harvesting stuff, or um, a lot more of that stuff versus actual. Well, I guess possibly your your green walls, your green roofs, and that kind of thing as well, but. Um, not like in, more directly involving the the plants and the soil and that kind of thing rather than uh your building energy that kind of stuff but i don't know because again you said you had quite a bit of discrepancy with these guys so they might be thinking something totally different 
Yeah. So, I mean, that, yeah, like a lot of what you said, they do kind of incorporate and talk about in the article. But yeah, they, by that of it, they define it as a system of interconnected ecosystems, ecological uh, slash technological hybrids and built infrastructures providing contextual, social, environmental and technological functions and benefits. So as a planning concept, green infrastructure brings attention to how diverse types of urban ecosystems and built infrastructures function in relation to one another to meet socially negotiated goals. So that's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of words. <laughs> it's a mouthful. But yeah, basically, I think what they're trying to get at is that it's, it's more of an interconnected way of involving ecosystem, let's say services and incorporating that into uh, things built, I guess, more in an urban environment. But then also looking at uh, kind of the social uh, part of it, too, because, I mean, if you're building these buildings for people by people, you got to think about that, too, versus just the um, the ecological services that might come out of building a green infrastructure building or system or whatever you're constructing. Yeah, because it's got to be economical and have some social value to it as well, or else. Why do people spend money doing these things, right? It's, it's not, you can't just go on the whole, oh, because it's good for the environment. Like there has to be more to it than that, right? So, mm-hmm. so yeah. So yeah, that's what they define it as. But yeah, I guess I will kind of go through what they talk about. And then, yeah, now everybody kind of knows what, what they kind of came up with by the end. So you can kind of see kind of where they got to. Um, so the lead author, um, he's a Polish guy. So <laughs> his name was very hard to... <laughs> read at first, but I think I found it. It's Z Z Big Nif Grabowski. Oh, that's a good yeah. one. <laughs> yeah, Z Big Nif Grabowski uh, stated that the term green infrastructure is understood in a broad sense among city planners, but not so much the details of it. And again, like we were just talking about beforehand, that um, that can vary from city to city because every city planner is going to have their own objectives and goals and um, therefore, the definition of green infrastructure is going to be different for each one. And I guess, yeah, this whole article is trying to get at is just why not create just the one definition that kind of encompasses everything, which I think they kind of did, but I think it's still pretty. Um, well, it's, it is like, hard to fit everything in into a couple sentences, right? So <laughs> Yeah, like it, it's not very easily defined. Uh, but anyways, so yeah, when it comes to city planners implementing green infrastructure ideas, the majority will focus on the hydrological definitions. And this can lead to losing opportunities for uh, the planners, uh, you know, the citizens, people that use these um, or will or could be using these uh, infrastructure or these constructed whatever uh, things and the cities themselves to have a more integrated green infrastructure with multiple ecological and social benefits, Um, which I can kind of see because even here in the city, I think you hear the most. And again, it's more mainly, at least for me, I've worked more with what I would consider as green infrastructure, but more focus on hydrological stuff, mainly because it's mostly been uh, storm water ponds that I've worked on. So I can totally see. And I think, I think that's just kind of, maybe it's easier. I don't know. Like they don't get into really the details of that. And I don't even, I don't really know the answer, but I have to think that maybe it's easier or it's just kind of the standard of, well, let's do storm water ponds or let's focus on the water like stormwater management because that's kind of what's been done before for a long time and 
why change it now? I guess. Well, maybe? it also might be um, maybe there's a greater need for it too, right? Like that too. Yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah. Yeah. So while the term green infrastructure may have been introduced in recent years, the concept has been around for a while. So the idea of landscape design in the 19th century had a focus on incorporating and designing parks, trails, gardens, and natural landscapes that provided benefits for people and the environment. So yeah, it's not a totally new thing like in the last decade or so. It's been, it's been a, the idea has been around for a while. I think that just the term maybe green infrastructure and kind of the way you look at it today has been introduced in recent years, but and it's, it's evolving, have, right? So yeah, it's constantly changing because I think what people considered, you know, parks, trails, gardens, natural landscapes in the 19th century, I think is very different from what we think of them today, just because of, you know, updates and our perception and <laughs> technology and everything. Although it's funny because things are also cyclical. So some things, the, the old uh, methods are, or, Something, you yeah, know, we go, come we go back, back to yeah. some of that stuff and then other things like, whoa, what were we thinking? Let's do this different. So it can go both ways, I guess. Yeah. So, yeah. In 2007, uh, as quoted in the article, the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency defined green infrastructure as a set of best practices for managing stormwater to meet uh, the Clean Water Act uh, regulations. So right there in at least the U.S. at the federal level that their definition of green infrastructure was including or focusing on the hydrological uh, factors, I guess, and focusing on like things like stormwater ponds or stormwater management and then what that kind of entails. So, so yeah, the team studying the various plans looked at how uh, some of the green infrastructure was defined and the functions and benefits assigned to the projects. And the cities that they looked at, uh, yeah, I'll just quickly read them over. Uh, Atlanta, Austin, Baltimore, Chicago, Denver, Detroit, Louisville, Miami, Milwaukee, New Orleans, New York City, Philadelphia, Phoenix, Portland, Sacramento, uh, San Juan, Seattle, St. Louis, uh, uh, Syracuse, and Washington, D.C. There's quite a lot, a broad spectrum. Yeah, because, you know, how much they do? Yeah, so 20, I think that was 20 that they looked at. And yeah, it's kind of all over the place, so it's not really focused on kind of a certain area where maybe a lot of the city planners would have kind of similar ideas for how you're going to plan. Because like, I think temperature and climate do play a pretty big role in mm -hmm. how you plan your city for green infrastructure. So if you're looking just in the south of the United States, you're going to get kind of i would think stuff pretty similar versus if you look somewhere up <laughs> close to yeah what did say seattle and um i don't detroit yeah i guess was another one too um so yeah you'll get some you, you get a lot of variety yeah so the team found that out of uh, all those cities that they were looking at and all the plans that they analyzed that 39 percent of the plans did not define green infrastructure period which is, which is kind now, of whether whether that's because they don't know or can't agree on it versus you know like it's hard to say why i guess yeah like either they were just looking at the just one plan and they just didn't have it in it but they were still doing green infrastructure designs and stuff yeah who knows because yeah they don't really talk about it but then of the plants that did define the term 59 percent of them focused on stormwater concepts 17 percent of them accounted for mention of landscape concepts and 15% accounted for 
uh, integrative, an integrative approach combining landscape and stormwater concepts. And then 9% accounted for other concepts that were not really defined within uh, the article or within the study that they were mm -hmm. doing. So, so it looks like there's a lot of room for uh, expansion there anyway. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, yeah, the way I understood it, it seemed like, yeah, some were focused just on stormwater stuff. Others were focused on the landscape terrestrial, uh, whatever they were looking at. And then some had a mix of both. And then some just didn't really define or just had other ideas that weren't in the scope of this particular study. So Yeah. And it'd be um, interesting to see a Canadian parallel between the provinces, too. Um, yeah, that's because we might. As soon as I saw this, of, I'm but, like, mm. I want to see if there was a Canadian equivalent and I wasn't able to find anybody that was really doing that. But yeah, I was kind of interested too. how do they do it in Ontario versus the Maritimes versus here versus uh, BC versus Northwest Territories. Like, I'd be kind of interested <laughs> to see all these different city planners and yeah, what they do differently. So yeah, so qualifications for what constituted as green infrastructure varied. Many plans had green roofs, rain gardens, stormwater facilities, and trees as dominant features. I think trees were the most. I think they said about like 90%. Uh, like when it came to the plans and their green infrastructure, like 90% constitute like <laughs> came from just trees. Like, oh, we're just going to put trees as part of the plan. And that's that's going to be that's our green it, infrastructure. That part's prob probably fairly comparable up here. I mean, worldwide, everybody's saying plant more trees, right? So mm -hmm. it's just the thing. <laughs> and we've talked about how yeah. like trees are good. But, but there's lots of different components for sure. Yeah, you, you want an integrated, you want it to, uh, a varied approach uh, than just straight up trees. Uh, and then, yeah, some plans had green energy and alternative transportation technologies as part of their definitions as well. So now that's bringing in, yeah, like transportation ideas, which, yeah, anyways. Um, let's see. Uh, yeah, so then based on the analysis of all the city plans, the research team came up with their own definition of green infrastructure that they believe to be more comprehensive of green infrastructure and its benefits. And yeah, uh, kind of said, yeah, I said that at the beginning. So yeah, that was kind of that one. I'm just, um, there's this environment journal, uh, which is Canadian based. I'm just quickly scanning through it because their, their big header here is unpaving paradise, green infrastructure policies to build back better. But, what is it that the Canadian government is suggesting they consider green infrastructure, right? Because what's interesting is a lot of the grants and all that kind of stuff, it's actually for the the energy part of uh, things. So the wind or solar or the EV car thing. And, you know, no mention of the water plant, the more natural side of stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, okay. Well, okay. So healthy, the healthy environment and a healthy economy plan is backed by a 15 billion, oh, backed by 15 billion project investments under the first intake of the green infrastructure stream will address emerging priorities in water infrastructure. So again, back to the water thing, disaster mitigate. Oh yeah, that one too, disaster mitigation and climate change. So the Canada Infrastructure Bank has earmarked 10 billion from its overall 35 billion uh, current working budget for loan-based investments toward infrastructure deemed sustainable. Now, where where is there? Um, uh, I guess what what qualifies for sustainable? What did they call sustainable? That's another thing, right? Because that's the other thing I find a lot of the government um, sites and organizations they use a lot of 
legal lingo or uh, these words, but they don't define what they really mean. You got to hunt around so much, you're never sure if you can qualify for something or what it actually means in terms that an average person can understand. Or yeah, so they've got. Natural Resources, Natural Resources Canada is establishing the Natural Climate Solutions Fund, which will invest $4 billion over the next 10 years, including $631 million to the Nature Smart Climate Solutions Program, which will support projects that restore and enhance wetlands, peatlands, and grasslands. Well, I'm glad to see that they're starting to put more um, emphasis on the peatlands and the grasslands for carbon sequestration. Yeah, there are still prevalent misconceptions and significant gaps to address as traditional infrastructure funding schemes don't always suit the smaller and unique green infrastructure strategies that are needed across country. So they are kind of admitting that they need to catch up to present and future times based on the needs and, and what's going on. They're, they're not fully equipped for it um, yet, which is why they're doing some things in more of the traditional formats even now because they, they don't have everything in place to catch up. Of course, they're putting $300 million towards addressing the agricultural sector green infrastructure challenges. Oh, they actually mentioned a rooftop greenhouse garden. So that's the thing is there's so many of these things like I'm not hearing any of these terms like the bioswales, rain gardens, the water capture, the green walls, green roofs. But that one finally mentioned it's, It seems to be more of, again, a little more hardcore traditional like the energy sector and whatever, but they're trying to catch up to some of these other things. Mm -hmm. Anyway, we'll have to read that uh, further, but if anybody wants to, they can go to the environmentjournal.ca and it's called Unpaving Paradise, Green Infrastructure Policies to Build Back Better. Um, this is from April 26, 2021. It does at least start to dig into some of the um, Canadian logistics of uh, green infrastructure, uh, even though it might, some of it might be similar to the state, some of it's different. And some of it, like I say, it's, it seems like it's catching up behind the times a bit, but they're at least acknowledging that and trying to make an effort. So it'll be interesting to see what comes in the, in the future. Um, Cause that's something else I noticed with the States compared to Canada, it seems like down there uh, a lot more companies and the government and various organizations are willing to assign value to green ventures or um, things like the native plants or a lot of these natural resource things because a lot of people, they don't seem to understand that if you don't assign an economic value to these things, it, it, no, it isn't attractive enough to a lot of corporations or, or groups to say, oh, we'll do it because it's good for the environment. Well, that's, that's not good enough. A lot of people have to be able to make income off these things to warrant doing them so that therefore you've got to uh, change how people look at it so yeah that's why whenever you're talking about oh what's what's this green initiative going to provide in terms of eco ecological services on our end like i think at least me personally it's like well i can easily you know explain to you the ecological services that a constructive wetland would provide versus a natural one and just all these other green initiatives but try to tell that to a developer um, they're going to look at it more as, okay, well, that's a good idea, but still need to know about, okay, where's the money, like how, where's the economic uh, yeah, value Yeah, they need to know this. what the value is to them. And that's the thing is, I think um, companies like, like ours, as well as the government or, or other organizations need to start looking at, okay, 
it's it's great to do the um, feel good thing, but we have to be realistic and start looking at how do companies um, look at this. And it's basically like, well, what is the benefit to me? If I do this, am I going to either save money? Am I going to make money? Um, what's in it for me? And and it's the reality, right? So if we don't start looking at those things and making uh, things either value added or show them other reasons to do it that aren't just, well, because it'll reduce greenhouse gas emissions, we may not get a lot of these bigger corporations on board, which is the, you know, the sad truth. So, um, I mean, it is great that some of these, some of these big oil and gas corporations, whatever, are starting to do more things because they know it's the right thing to do. And it's a community service thing. But there's many more of them that are like, unless I'm making money or saving money, I'm not doing it. So. Oh, because they also have shareholders to fight with. So, <laughs> yeah. and and business is business. I mean, if even with us, uh, for us, we can't do everything for free. If we're running a business, at the end of the day, it's also got to have economic value. And if it doesn't, then it's not viable. So, so yeah, but yeah, that's interesting. So that is the green infrastructure. I guess talking about green, I have a plant adventure guide too. If you, oh, I'm, I'm not done yet. Oh, you're not done with. Oh, that was just the intermission. Sorry. I I have a lot. Awesome. No, this that's, is that's great. I said when I had a lot, I had a lot. Well, maybe this will this will answer um, some of these questions, or at least. Um, send us down a path to look into further. So yeah, I'm curious. Go continue. <laughs> yeah. So another thing I looked at, well, after reading that one is like, okay, well, that's all, you know, US based. Let's look at mm -hmm. stuff, at least in Canada, or try to narrow it down further, trying to look at Alberta. So it's kind of looking at, okay, where is some notable green infrastructure? And then I found a thing that was talking about green and gray infrastructure. And mostly they were talking about stormwater ponds, which yeah, it's fine, but kind of got boring when I just read every single thing as being a stormwater pond in some form or another. But anyways, I'll something to aspire them. to. We'll have to develop that into the other things, right? Yeah. So like in Calgary, they have uh, the Shepherd Wetland at the Ralph Klein. Right. Park. Yeah, I, I, I was um, I lived near there and went there when it was when they first did it. Um, Hopefully now it's much further along because <laughs> it was pretty raw and new when I saw it. But. Yeah. And again, yeah, main focus for that one is tackle stormwater storage and treats water runoff from the surrounding area. And that's kind of, you know, that's basically every stormwater management facility's goals is collect the water and treat the water through whatever system that they implement into it. Uh, and then there's another place in Calgary, uh, Inglewood Bird Sanctuary. Apparently, right. there's a yeah, some sort of constructed wetland type thing there. But again, the focus there is more. I shouldn't say the focus is more, but one aspect of it is for bird habitat too. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. uh, so that's in Calgary, and then in the Battle River area, uh, there's the Ferry Point Reach Riparian Restoration Project. And this project in particular aims to improve the riparian area along the Battle River to help fish and fish habitat, as well as recreational benefits for people in the area or people that want to come and visit uh, the area. So that was another spot that they mentioned. And then here in Edmonton, uh, there's the John Jansen Nature Center. Uh, 
there they implemented or uh, constructed a green roof on one of their oh. buildings. Oh, I guess I got to go look there more. <laughs> I I so I think, what was it? Yeah, in 2010, uh, to create more opportunities for educating the public um, about nature, uh, they created the green roof and then also had the added benefits of um, rainfall retention, winter insulation, and shade in the summer, and mm-hmm. habitat for various wildlife, and yeah, all these other things. All so, the reasons for that, yeah. That was a little more local one, and there's various stormwater ponds all over the city. Like mm-hmm. ones I've worked on are like DeRoche, Aurora, uh, Keswick. Uh, a lot of these new developments, kind of in the south, southeast, southwest uh, area of the city. Uh, yeah, at least that's the, one thing. Is is um... Most of the new communities, whether it's Calgary, Edmonton, or any major city now, are doing at least stormwater ponds. So that's something. Well, it's, yeah, it's good that it's like a kind of being a standard or at least encouraged to be, well, if you're going to build this new development, try to incorporate a stormwater pond in some capacity. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you might get even multiple ones in the same neighborhood plan. So, no, it's a good, there, a lot of developers are going in the right direction, I think, with that, but. Obviously, there's always more that could be done. Yeah, we just keep needing to add in. Um, I don't know if you heard of um, the Solar Dragon House. I have not. So this is interesting because a few years back, when I was looking at um, food production stuff, there was a group. They were they were talking about doing a food co-op, and this guy, <clears throat> um, Paul Belanger, uh, he's with the Living Design Group, and what he actually does is design. He's a designer architect. Um, he designs uh, greener um, living spaces, I guess. And him and these other guys were talking about this food co-op and they were going to build this uh, central kind of community building that all the different groups would use. And then I don't know what happened. But then now recently it, this idea is resurrected with a slightly different angle, I think. But the Solar Dragon House, if you look it up, it's... Um, it's built on 73 acres. It was built 2012 to 2014. Hence the the drag. It was built year. Or it was um, designed the year of the dragons. That's why it's called the Dragon House. But it's got 2,600 square feet, attached garage, bedroom, bathroom. So kind of like a home. But it's also got a classroom, a library, attached root cellar, um, all this kind of stuff. But they've made it off grid. So it's solar, electric power, battery storage, passive solar design. Uh, large in-floor thermal heating, biomass heaters, like including a wood boiler for their hot water. And it's it was built with uh, straw walls. So they're trying to use a lot of natural materials to build it and everything. They're trying to make it all off-grid. And anyway, I think their focal point now is they're trying to turn it into an um, educational center or something like that for a lot of these things that we're talking about. So everything from green infrastructure stuff to whether it's nature, native plant stuff, um, holistic things that relate. So, you know, massage and anti-stressing seminars or whatever. But anyway, um, if you look at it, though, it's just a really cool design because it's like a uh, almost looks like a, a granary for the main building because it's a round cylindrical building. But then there's uh, these other things that offshoot. And it's got like a solar chimney, all kinds of funky stuff. But anyway, that cool. one is, uh, it's somewhere by, crap, 
I thought I saw it somewhere between Legal and Edmonton or something. Have you even heard of Legal? Oh, remember Hey, yes, hey Bear? Legal. Hey Bear was from Legal. Crazy Hey Bear. Oh man. Uh, okay. Right. Okay. Cool. Anyway, not to get too far off, but it's it's another kind of thing up here that's not stormwater. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, it looks very cool. Um, and then yeah, and then in the in the city, um, there's also uh, Blatchford, which they've been kind of trekking along over the past few years, and like some stuff is open now for people to start buying houses there, but all that's supposed to be net zero emissions or pretty near net zero emissions for how they designed it and whatnot. So, so there's a lot of green infrastructure with how they designed the. I don't know if they have green roofs, but I know, but um solar panels and stuff for the housing so that's kind of more on the gray infrastructure but in terms of green stuff like all the parks and somewhat trails that kind of go oh, in yeah. and around there um yeah so yeah those are kind of the ones that oh yeah you guys stood should... out to me yeah you guys hmm? should totally talk to the uh the blatchford bunch because your uh landscaping stuff would fit in right right nicely with a lot of that mm-hmm yeah, but still, at the same time, it's like, it's just, I don't know, the, the entire process, it's just going back and forth. It's like I reached out to the developer and they're saying, oh, yeah, so we're just developing that. You have to, like, go ask those uh, individual builders to see if they want those stuff. Or if it's, like, retail space, you have to ask, like, all those individual people. Like, we as developers, we don't take control of those, like, smaller things. Yeah, that's the thing is nowadays you got to approach at all different levels until you get somebody that opens the door, right? So it might be everything from the prospective home buyer all the way up to the home builder to the developer to the community liaison to whatever but you just keep trying all the angles until you get that right connection and once you do that then um, things start to get a little easier because now you're not just doing one home but it's this you're you're the face for the whole community type thing right uh but yeah i know it's frustrating i mean even dealing with the city for some of these other things has been frustrating, but yeah, you just got to keep squeaky wheel, guess the grease. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, that was kind of for things I could find in Alberta. Uh, there was another uh, kind of something similar. Uh, there was a report um, done by, who was it? The Canada Green Buildings Council. Um, and this is also an article from yesterday that talks about uh, the pathway to decarbonizing large buildings. Um, So as climate change is becoming more apparent in a world from increased frequency of intense weather events to drastic temperature changes, you know, with all the wildfires, flooding, uh, all that fun stuff, uh, people, advocacy groups, and governments are looking for ways to combat it. Uh, So in Canada in particular, we are looking to cut our greenhouse gas emissions uh, by 40 to 45 percent by 2030 and to have net zero emissions by 2050 this is just based off of uh, uh the climate conference yeah 2050 uh, totally seems to be the new up. uh so that's kind of where those all those kind of goals are coming from so one aspect that some groups are looking into to meet those goals are to decarbonize existing buildings so rather building a whole new structure from scratch essentially and making it uh, a green infrastructure uh, this report is talking about, okay, buildings that already exist, how can we make them more 
you know, energy efficient and more sustainable and reduce how much uh, greenhouse gases are uh, being produced from them. So that's where the term kind of decarbonize comes from. So yeah, the, the definition of decarbonize is to remove carbon from whatever system or thing. And in the context of this topic, it's to reduce or remove a building's carbon dioxide output. Mm -hmm. um, so the, well, why am I blanking on the name again? Canada Green Building Buildings Council has done a new report uh, finished last year that looks at the costs of retrofits that could be conducted on various buildings. The report also looked at the energy and carbon savings and cost efficiency from the proposed retrofits. And the title of the report, if people want to look at it, because I kind of glanced, like I kind of skimmed through it to see uh, kind of what it was all about. Uh, the title or the report is called Decarbonizing Canada's Large Buildings, A Pathway Forward. And you can find that on the uh, Canadian Green Buildings Council website. But uh, yeah, I think it's like a 40 page document and it kind of just broadly goes over you know what they found out and analyzed and kind of how they broke things down and kind of talking about ways that or at least kind of get go how people that want to do these retrofits how how they can kind of get started with it it's not it's definitely not like a this is exactly what you need to do to retrofit your building because of course every building is going to be different and the goals for building managers are going to be different too, but yeah, but uh, get the wheels gets, in motion and yeah, gets people going on that. So yeah, the report finds that with certain retrofits done, up to twenty one point two million tons of CO two could be reduced. And again, that's I think an average, so it could be more, it could be less, but they say that approximately about twenty one point two million tons could be uh, reduced. So the yeah, the president and CEO of the Canadian Green Buildings council uh, indicated that with the re with this report it helps to guide building owners in improving equipment management practices and use of integrated renewable energy to achieve low carbon results and he goes on to say that with government support uh, decarbonizing buildings and meeting canada's climate goals is achievable so he says here's kind of a little template or a little start for people if we can get support from the government and even private sectors too, and just you know people with these buildings that kind of want to get involved um, or want to do better or more uh, for the environment that, um, yeah, if we all kind of work together, that it is achievable. It's just everybody has to kind of get on the same page or a similar page with it. Mm -hmm. So the report looks at the classification of buildings into 50 different archetypes and further breaks it down to the baseline and businesses as or business as usual retrofit. So kind of the thing, like the things that you're always going to be constantly fixing in any kind of building. So that's kind of how they broke it down. Like things are just going to be your baseline initial. Uh, this is how much it's going to, um, or like, anyways, I'll get into it a little bit more. But yeah, moving on to the retrofits that a building needs to meet net zero goals, the performance of said retrofits, and the financial analysis of the retrofits. Um, so as for information for policymakers, the report gets into recommendations for that too. So they talk about uh, continuing to align retrofit cost savings and deep carbon reductions through planned carbon pricing increases and or other means. So support and establish innovative retrofit loan programs such as property assessed 
clean energy or pace and on on billing financing and develop credit enhancements such as loan loss reserves, loan guarantees and interest buy downs. And there's about, I think, five other things that they talk about. Again, it's just all these very wordy <laughs> things that, again, are specifically that they said, you know, for policymakers, like, you know, look at this as kind of uh, as a start for how to work with um, building managers. And yeah, that was kind of it for that one. Again, like, you know, the bulk of the information that you're going to find on this is the actual report, which again, you can find on the uh, Green Buildings uh, Council website. Okay. But yeah, I thought it was kind of interesting that, yeah, they created this whole report done last year and yeah, talking about all the buildings that already exist and how they broke it down and yeah, all these retrofits that you can do with, um, you know, putting a green roof in or just using other, uh, being more energy efficient with whatever system you already have for uh, heating your uh, buildings already. And yeah, all these other things that they kind of go into more detail about. Yeah, I found it kind of cool that, again, that was more Canada focused. So yeah, well, that's the thing is, I mean, it's, at least it's getting a little bit better about finding stuff pertinent to our own country, let alone our own province. But um, because there is so much that either comes from Europe or the States, right? So. Yeah. And then uh, I did have another thing, but I think I'll save it for a different time. Okay. On this note, this concludes the end of this episode. Please, again, comment, like, share. Yeah, I think that's it. Spread the love. Oil and gas is the future.